Welcome to the podcast, Two Gals and a Glass Half Full, hosted by Dr. Bobby and Dr. Jess. They are two physical therapists sharing knowledge on living a more mindful, healthy, and active lifestyle, one small step at a time. If this sparks your interest, these are your two gals. Hey there, I'm Dr. Bobby, and this is Dr. Jess. We are two physical therapists just trying to live healthy most of the time and doing our best to see our personal glasses as half full. Some days that is much harder than others. We love to interview others to share their knowledge about things we may not know, and other times Dr. Jess and I are sharing our knowledge and information. So make sure you hit the subscribe button below, join our free Facebook group, and follow us on Instagram to receive our latest information. As we continue this month of May, uh, looking at mental health awareness, um, I think it's also important that as we look at awareness and education, we continue to talk about things we can actually do to make uh, make steps in improving the problem and improving things that are going on. So really excited about today's guest and today's topic. But before we get started, Dr. Jess, what is in your glass? I am working on my first cup of coffee, and so I almost forgot it, so I had to run out of the room to go get it, uh, <laughs> so that didn't get too cold. I like I like when it's warm, not too super hot, but also not too cold. There's like a temperature that's it's got to be right. Uh, so, Dr. Bobby, what's in your glass? I am very, I don't have water today. I am very excited. I have missed coffee so much. Um, so, I found out that Duncan does decaf coffee because I don't have any in the house, so I have a Dunkin' decaf coffee um, with a little bit of cream in there. Awesome. I have missed my coffee. <laughs> so today we have a guest with us who works in the mental health field. We'll let her introduce herself. But first, Kelly, what's in your glass? My glass today is um, some lemon ginger tea, green tea. Mm, love that. Needing a little more caffeine, but not enough coffee boost. And um, it's actually cold inside our building. And I was like, this will be great. So not a normal thing for me. Normally it's water. Okay. <laughs> I went fancy. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I like it. All right. So um, Kelly, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm a, um, like you said, I'm a mental health counselor. I'm actually a registered intern um, in Florida, which means I've graduated with my master's. Um, I just have two more years of supervision after that. Um, actually, only about a year and a half left. Um, so I, yeah, I just have loved this field. Um, at 40 years old, I finally found what I want to do when I grow up. Um, and I think it's, you know, just so important. Um, and like I said, I just love it. I'm like obsessed with mental health and all things. So I love that. That's I love that you said mm -hmm. at 40, you found what you love and like being able to sometimes taking that step out and finding it later in life is, is hard. It's scary and to not follow just kind of what you're doing. So that's absolutely awesome. Yeah. So as far as the topic for today, we were really interested in anxiety and talking a little bit more about that and better understanding what is anxiety. Because it's something that I think what I see, at least in the clinic, is that 
I see it a lot with my patients, but they don't necessarily realize that that's what they're experiencing. Uh, and so I think if we can shed some light on what is this, some, you know, it's like, it's not that I just like have, you know, sweaty armpits and I'm nervous. Um, anxiety is a little bit more than that. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit of like this big picture word of anxiety, and then we'll kind of get a little bit deeper into it. Sure. Yeah. Anxiety um, really is rooted in a fear of something. It is a, at the most basic way, it's like a perceived threat of something. Um, And that can be a broad spectrum of things. Like with all things mental health, it's on this spectrum. So it can be um, something really internalized. So it can be a fear of embarrassment, fear of rejection, um, this sort of just like fear of feeling a certain way. And then it can also be your kind of external outward um, fear of getting in a car accident, fear of um, screwing up in a podcast, you know, saying the wrong Mm -hmm. thing. It can be just this, something's going on inside of you that's creating this um, fear of some sort of perceived kind of threat. So yeah, it creates a lot of biological changes and the mental kind of like thoughts are kind of going in that direction. So yeah, yeah, I could see that in our world, you know, when people are in pain, there's oftentimes a, this, this mindset that comes in, am I going to be capable again? Am I going to be able to return to this profession or this level of function or this expectation of that people have about me of being strong and powerful. And so this like fear of, am I going to get back to that um, leads to really some sometimes very significant um, issues with anxiety. Uh, And I think it's one of those things that can really like inhibit your healing and inhibit your progress if you don't kind of recognize what's going on. Uh, so that's yeah. just that what I see uh, with some examples of those fears. Um, what are some other like fears that you see kind of like broad spectrum, like um, maybe in a female population versus a male population versus, you know, adolescence? I think those fears can be kind of big, like greatly different. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that you said it can block you from kind of progress Mm-hmm. Um, to just touch on that, the, if you think about something being scary, what we naturally do as humans is we're going to go the other way. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of, we're like, ah, go the other way. Well, we do that. Even if it's an internal fear, we kind of, there's just a block that comes up. So, um, thinking of women, there's a whole lot of fear, um, based in comparisons to others and am I doing it well enough? Am I being the best, you know, mom around? Am I bringing in this to like, are my children doing this? So if you think about a mother, I don't have kids. My anxiety is a lot around, um, am I going to find a partner? Um, is, am I, attractive enough. Um, that's a huge one because you were mentioning that others, um, there was another focus on social media. <clears throat> Talk about something anxiety inducing. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. So just even just the comparing part and saying like, um, your brain just really starts to do that and starts to make you feel a certain way, um, that I need to be doing more or am I performing at the optimal level? Um, when really we need to, you know, kind of be comfortable sitting in our seat just as we are, um, adolescent anxiety can be the same, can be body image. Um, and also, um, if you think about, trying to get into a certain college, trying to uh, prove to your parents that you're worthy. Um, trying Perfectionism is a really big one that's showing up now. There's so much that um, kids are experiencing in having to do so many things and do it all really, really right and perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they're going to be compared to their peers and feel like they're not holding up the same. Yeah. Um, for men, it's a lot of that same kind of like performance, like even in jobs and I'm not supposed to be feeling this anxiety. I Society has told me that as a man, I'm supposed to be able to handle anything. So it's very internalized and kind of like um, behind closed doors, uh, not as talked about as much. Um, whereas maybe in some circles, like women are kind of thrown around like, yeah, I have a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety about this and da, da, da. But we don't really hear that as much in the male population of really knowing what it is. Um, And so all of it to be said though, uh, is (laughs) very broad. I mean, it can be, like I said, very internalized fears. And then um, sometimes our anxieties are based in, you know, what we watch on the news can make us really scared. And it makes us scared to go out and we're like, I don't want to necessarily go somewhere where I don't know what's going to happen because that thing I saw on that show the other day could happen. And we didn't used to have that. We didn't have that accessibility to constant reminders of things in the world that could go wrong. And now with that, it's like, you really can be really afraid to kind of go out into this unknown. Mm -hmm. I kind of smile and laugh when you're talking about comparison because so at the time of this recording, I'm about seven weeks away from uh, delivering and I was on this weekend, I was in a baby care class and it's just like with people you don't know or anything. And it's the first time in my life I like sat down and like, I was almost embarrassed that like my water was a sparkling water that had green dye in it. And I'm like, oh, they're going to be judging me for not having clear water. And like, and then we had pizza and I had leftover pizza and I was like hard on myself because I wasn't even healthy in front of all these people. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I like, it was the first time that I ever was like judging myself for what I was drinking, you know, like, and like, they're going to think I'm going to harm this baby because I'm having this, you know, and I know I drink a ton of water. So it's not like it's a, (laughs) it's not like I'm, but still like, it's like, you're talking about comparison and like, I've never in my life judged myself on like that specific thing that I'm harming another individual by having this water. So I kind of was yeah. laughing when you were saying that. Cause like just on Saturday, I was going through that conversation in my head of like, it's okay. Like, what are you doing? It's okay. Cause those thoughts come in and you think, well, everyone here must be thinking this, right. Cause it just entered my brain suddenly. Um, when I kind of want to get like all moms together and say, let's just throw out all that nonsense and let's talk about how hard this is, <laughs> and how much we mess up, you know, it's not, it's, 
yeah, there's a lot of comparison in that world. So, and you did the right thing. I think that kind of like telling yourself, wait a minute, whoa, slow down. This isn't that I know I am doing right by my baby inside me. (laughs) But still, it was just like a weird, like I found myself kind of hiding and I still did. I like hid that water bottle. I just took it out every time I wanted to drink, you know, whereas I normally would just leave it out there because it's sparkling water. Yes. It's not all natural da, 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 has some, but right. it's okay. It's still sparkling water. Like, <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. oh no. And those comparisons, like it, 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 I feel like I don't think anybody is really immune to it. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Uh, but like, I mean, being a parent, the same thing. I compare myself to moms that are stay at home moms versus a working mom. Right. So am I doing the right thing by, you know, working, having a profession, doing something that I am passionate about on a day-to-day basis while my kids are safe with, you know, somebody else, but it's not me. And so then on the weekends, we'll go to maybe a birthday party or something like that. And there might be a group of stay-at-home moms that are all, you know, kind of hanging out, talking about, you know, what they've done during the week with their kiddos. And I'm sitting here comparing myself going like, am I an absent parent? Like, am I right? Like, oh my goodness, like I didn't do a baby and me class like at 10 a.m. at at the library and, you know, (laughs) just like, but I'm doing the same thing of like, oh goodness, am I a horrible parent? Am I absent? Am I this? Am I that? You know, and it's like your heart rate starts to raise a little bit, you know, you get like a little bit nauseated and it's like, same thing though, take a breath. My kids were doing circle time, reading books, with a child care provider and doing, you know, very structured activities that are age appropriate with peers. They are safe. They are loved. They're both in good, you know, situations, but I'm sitting there going like, I'm going to walk away real quick. (laughs) It's so easy to fall into it. Like it's so like how quickly those thoughts came to my brain. It was just like amazing. And then it takes hours to get rid of them. I mean, it's three days later, four days later, and it's still on my mind about that silly water. Right. Yeah. And I I think, you know, the thing with anxiety is it latches onto something that's really important to you. So being a good parent is really, really important to you. I want to be the best parent I can be, right? Um, I want to be it can be, I want to be liked by people. I want to be good at this. I want to be good enough. And so it's these deep things that when you get a little bit of semblance of like, could I maybe not be that? Mm-hmm. Then the thoughts are like, oh no, oh no. And it's like, they're going and going. And what you said with the heart rate, it also can make you like high, kind of hypervigilant. You're just like kind of looking out. So it's like, it's almost like your pupils dilate and you're taking in more of this. And so it it really can kind of spin in that when really it's all just thoughts. Right. They're just yeah. thoughts. Right. That not everyone's having around you. I'd imagine in groups like that, if you, you know, go on the other side and think of a mom who looks at a stay at home mother who looks at a working mother and says, um, I hope they don't think that I'm lazy and just sit around all day. Right. Or, you know, and so they may overcompensate and be like, I have to do the most because, you know, they have eight hours where they're working and I don't want to seem like I'm not working. And, you know, so it's other, right. And it's just when, like, like I said, I wish we could all get together and just throw it all away. (laughs) Um, But the thoughts fuel the feelings and they all 
keep going hand in hand. So it is about, you know, possibly stepping away and trying to stop those thoughts a little bit and put them in their place. I think that's for me, at least when I've noticed when I start feeling symptoms, which we'll kind of get into it in just a minute, that's where I kind of like give myself a pause and say, what's going on here? (laughs) What's the deal? And I have certain areas of my life where that is kind of, you know, I know that that's like you said, something that I really, really value. And so like being a parent, like I really, really value when I was first starting my career, I really valued doing a good job with my patients. Like I wanted when they came in to see me, you know, being a new grad is hard because you've got somebody like across the room from you looking to you for help. And it's like, you want to deliver on that. And if you don't deliver, it's like, you feel like, am I capable of helping somebody actually feel better? And that capability, like, oh, I want to be capable. I don't want to be incapable. So like that kind of really fueled the beginning of my career of like, I need to really like have some good mentors around me so I can kind of process back and forth and say stuff out loud and they can kind of, you know, help me with that conversation. Uh, And so for me, I found surrounding myself with individuals that are safe, that can help me kind of navigate a new world that I'm in has been really helpful. Same thing with parenting, right? Having people around me that either like understand me, understand parenting, like having a good friend that's a stay-at-home mom where we go back and forth and she tells me her (laughs) stay-at-home mom like stuff and I'm like working mom stuff and we're like, oh, everybody struggles really, you know, Mm -hmm. it's helpful. It just diffuses the situation and helps shed light and perspective so that you feel more acceptable of like, I'm right where I should be. Like I should be uncomfortable. I have never done this before. (laughs) I'm not crushing it. Right. (laughs) But sometimes when somebody else kind of helps you realize that, at least for me, that's helped a lot. (laughs) I was going to say, Jess, and sometimes, you know, you, um, you know, you talk about new grad and new positions, new jobs, new, new experiences and surrounding yourself. And I can tell you sometimes that's even, even that part is hard. Like, so for me, I, we're a little bit different. And like, for me, when I'm, I want to, I feel like I should know it all. So Mm -hmm. I'm almost embarrassed to admit to someone, like, I don't know, like, I don't know what that is. Like, I feel like if someone says something to me, I should know what it is. I should figure it out. So when I was working with patients, like almost having those mentors while I was with a patient almost made me worse because I get so anxious because now I have the patient judging me. I have this mentor judging me and I just did a lot better if I was with the patient and talked, you know, but like, so sometimes even asking for that help and realizing that help is, is hard. And that alone takes a lot of strength. Oh yeah. Absolutely. There's a huge fear of judgment, I think, you know, that we have of, and that causes us to judge ourselves. So it's like this, you know, kind of bitter cycle where like, um, people are going to think this of me. Um, and then we start thinking it of ourselves in that moment, maybe, maybe I am bad for drinking this. Oh gosh. You know, what are they going to think? What am I thinking about myself right now too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that internal thought is like, like you're sometimes we're projecting our own thoughts onto somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's like, 
you know, obviously not very fair to that other person. <laughs> they might not actually be thinking that. Um, but yeah, that I think a lot of, you know, in our society, perfection is something that is sought. And, you know, you're taught from a young age that if you don't do a good enough job in school, you're not going to get into the school that you want. And then if you don't get into the school that you want, you're not going to get into the career that you want. And then if you don't get that, then you're going to have this dead end job and you're going to be like, you're going to be miserable and the rest of your life is over. Right. So like, it's like very catastrophic thinking, (laughs) you know, it's like, Like, you have to go to college, right? right? Like there's so many good jobs out there that don't require college. Right. Yeah. You know, I think it's just kind of like realizing that one mistake doesn't lead to the end of like doom and gloom. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that like actually mistakes are like the best opportunity for learning. It's just like really being able to like take that moment and like recognize process. Yes, I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I'm whatever I'm feeling. And then reframing that like I think if we can learn that from a younger age, I think it can be helpful into adulthood. Uh, but it's just tough. Like this, this, all of this, like competition and pressure and competition and pressure over and over again, it's, uh, it just, it translates right into the workforce, right into corporations, right into this is how you climb the ladder. And I, I can just see, I can see that anxiety that it just kind of starts and it, and it builds. So it's, it's a tough one, you know, it's really tough where you could really actually be very successful and very happy and um, actually like celebrate your, your failures and learn from them and become stronger because of it. So yeah, it doesn't all land in doom and gloom. I love that. That's not, yeah. it's one or the other. Right. I also try to tell people that um, perfect cannot be a goal. It's not attainable. No, so you got to kind of say, all right, it's, if you find yourself with little mistakes being like, oh, you know, it's like, what are we going for then? And we're going for perfect. And that's not, that's not attainable. We got to, we got to dial it back in and try to reframe that a little. Um, Perfection is not the goal because it isn't attainable. It's not even a possibility. Right. Yeah. That's that's not, that's not possible. That's anxiety provoking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I see that a lot. I coach high level competitive gymnastics. Um, and not only do I see to myself and all my teammates, like, I feel like anyone that's almost gotten to that level is going to have some issue with anxiety, OCD, perfectionism, Mm -hmm. because that's how you got there. Um, and as a coach, it also was a very big learning lesson of like, how do I help my kids achieve the goal of a 10 which is perfection, um, without instilling in them that the score is their worth. Mm. Um, and that is, you know, really hard. But um, one of the things I always told them is like, if you're not succeeding, then you haven't made enough mistakes. You haven't tried enough new things. You haven't failed enough um, because that's how you get to success. It's not like a failure success thing. It is a start, fail, 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 fail. And you finally find the success. But also then teaching them that, um, you can't control a score in mm-hmm. in the sport. You know, it is a very subjective. It is a score based on, and it's, I love the sport. I think there's so much good to it, but then there's also, it's based on looks. It's based on performance. It's based on perfection. It's based on 
a lot of things that can tear you down and cause some, you know, anxiety and some issues and stuff like that. So just, I love the sport, but trying to teach them how that healthy balance between the two. And yes, we want that nine, seven, nine, eight. And when we get that nine, eight, I had a kid get a nine, nine. When we looked at their team, we're trying to figure out what's the 10th that she could improve. And, and right. it's like, at that point, it's like, you got a nine, nine out of 10. Like not many kids get that ever in their lives, you know, but still it's in us. Like there's still that 10th missing. And it's just a subjective by someone else that watched. It's not even like a robot that measured everything. It's just another human being watching. Yeah. Yeah. Athletes. It's a definite next level or a different level of anxiety um, because in and of itself, you're supposed to bring 110% all the time. You know, you hit mm -hmm. the mat, you hit the court. It's like, you gotta go, you've gotta be there, show up, you know, it's, and sometimes you may have a day where you're not 110 and you have to, so then you're, you're anxious about that. Like what's happening. And, um, and then, yeah, the whole point of it is to be better than yeah. your last version of yourself and be better than those around you. Um, so athletes is a very unique stance because we try to say that is the sport part. That is that as opposed to who you are mm -hmm. and what is going on. So yes, you can give 110% of what you can give that day that day may, because of other things going on, not be your best day because maybe something happened out there. And, you know, it's like, how do we balance that? Um, I found with Ashley, it's it's hard for me to say the perfection thing. Like we don't have to be perfect. You can't always be a hundred percent. Athletes are like, mm. <laughs> oh, that's mm -mm, nope. I always have to be a hundred. And so it's, it's kind of yeah. making sure they don't incorporate that to their lives outside of the sport. So yeah, it's real difficult. So good on you for finding that. Like we got well, what I would try to do with them. And I think is very applicable to our lives, even not even outside of an athlete is okay. As long as it's not every day, if every day you're not feeling great, if every day you're not trying, there's a different problem going on, but you know, if you're, you know, trying and just this one day would come along or, you know, fears, things like this, it's like taking them back and be like, okay, so this isn't going to happen today. And this is what we can do in our normal life. What can we do that will be still productive and healthy and get you towards your goal? But maybe it's not at the level that we normally do every day. And like teaching those kids, like instead of just coming to me and saying, I can't or I'm tired or this or that, I was teaching them, okay, I'm really, sh I would, I, and I would take away like the negative. So they were allowed to say I'm struggling. So they'd come and like, I'm really struggling with this today. And so then my question to them would be like, okay, what can we do that will still help with that? But maybe it's not that level right now. And like letting them come up with the answers, letting them come up with the problem. And then all of a sudden you'd see them turn around instead of just telling them what to do. And these kids are 10, 11, 12, you know, up to 18 years old. Um, and it was just amazing to see. And sometimes I'm like, I need to do that in my own life. Like, okay, it's okay. I have a list this long of stuff to do. This is going to take weeks. Like, what can I do today? And like, just kind of turning it around back on yourself and like, what, what is one step I can do? Let's get it done. Yeah, I love that. 
Uh, so what, uh, like as far as like symptoms, so if somebody's like, I don't necessarily know if what I'm experiencing is anxiety, like they might have like some thoughts or this or that, but like when you actually become symptomatic from anxiety, from mm-hmm. a physiological perspective, what, what are common things that someone might experience? I think, th- um, so the thoughts well, not physiological, but that is a big part of it is that we kind of get these ruminating thoughts, thoughts kind of, um, you know, hyper vigilant, fixating on something, but then in our bodies that it's, you know, it's the heart rate going up. Um, a lot of people can feel uh tightness in their chest or maybe, I mean, some people, you know, even, you know, you can have IBS, um, anxiety shows up in your gut a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, sweating, sweaty palms, shaky. Um, maybe your voice is kind of rattly. Um, so it is, it's kind of, you know, if you think about being afraid and like doing the kind of like cartoon version of like being shaky, that can essentially what goes on. Um, I know for me, I get sort of when I'm anxious, I can get like a pain in the back of my neck. Um, it could be a blood pressure thing, but I love that you mentioned like that you notice in your body, something's going on. Um, cause that sometimes can be where I start with the client first. I want you to notice what's happening in your body because mm-hmm. they won't even realize, Oh, um, my appetite's completely gone. I haven't eaten since breakfast and it's afternoon. Um, I'm feeling a little lightheaded, queasy something. And that, that could be, um, I mean, I am mentioning food, so it could be food, but it can be anxiety too. And they don't realize that every time they feel anxious, they get lightheaded. They just assume it's something else. Um, and so you try to connect that body mind so that you can intervene then. So like you said, when you notice that you're getting like, oh, I'm a little queasy in my stomach, let me go to the bathroom and let me breathe a little. This might be anxiety. It also might mean that I need to eat. That's another thing. Sometimes we're <laughs> anxious, we don't eat. So I always say like, think about the last time that you ate. Do you need to go have a banana? Like get yourself some, because that in and of itself is anxiety inducing. Um, so we need to, the symptoms, at least it induces the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think, I think anxiety shows up in the body a lot and it can be a good indicator to us that we need to try to maybe if we can intervene on that. Yeah. Dr. Jess, what are some symptoms that you find in yourself when you feel like you're getting anxious? Uh, yeah. So if it's like, so I find, so with anxiety, like sometimes I'll have like more of like an acute where it's like in the moment, like something kind of triggers me, like that event with the um at the birthday party and the and the moms are talking about like the all the things they were doing during the week with their kiddos and obviously I'm like I'm absent I'm this I'm that these are my thoughts right um that's normally my heart rate goes up I can feel like my heart rate go up and I'll honestly like I get emotional like I feel like I could cry like that like anything in the moment could like make me cry. And it's like, that's when I'm like, woof, I'm going to walk away real quick. Like nothing here should be making me cry. Like <laughs> <you're> fine. <laughs> like you're not an absent parent. Walk away, breathe, refocus your thoughts and then come back. However, if I have a 
longer term anxiety, something that's not like in the moment, but like an underlying thing. So like, for example, when I was starting the practice, that was a lot of work and I was completely shifting, right? Like my income from income being earned from working somewhere to income completely dependent on me in my practice, like I was doing a complete flip. So that was a very long term because it took a while to get everything ready and built and whatnot. So my appetite was like non-existent, like non-existent. So like I had to force myself to eat and like, I had to like really work every night on like journaling and writing things down and saying like, objectively speaking, like everything is in line, like this is possible. I had to like keep proving to myself that like, this is a smart financial decision, even though I can't prove until it's live that it'll work. (laughs) Like, but yeah, my appetite was gone, like absolutely gone. Um, And so that was like, wow, this is like bigger than myself right now. And like, I'm lucky I have a two income household. My husband works, you know, I had fail safes, you know, I had safety nets, but even with that, like, I still was like, is like, am I going to fall on my face? And because it was a really big leap. And I mean, it was the same thing, like trying to, I think I'm trying to think, no, not boards, but like sometime in grad school, maybe second semester, there was like a point in grad school where it was like real tough. And my appetite was just like, non-existent you know because it was like a really tough semester and like are we going to pass are we going to be good enough um and and we were um but like um but yeah that for me like a longer term that's where I noticed is that I I don't want to eat that's just my symptom yeah yeah I think you know I see that a lot um and you know in that regard you know I always encourage people to go obviously I'm a therapist to go into therapy and try to externalize what they're feeling internally and get that kind of validation that you need. And then also what sort of things can you tell yourself? I mean, you found it naturally. A lot of people do just kind of handle their anxiety naturally. Um, But I have a friend who, you know, if you look back, it's like, wow, they have such a perfect life, right? That, that again, that, that dirty word, perfect. Um, she has one of the highest anxieties of someone that I know because she just has this, she wants to be great. She wants everything to be great. She wants to, you know, let, she wants to do as much as she can with what she has. She's so grateful, um, that actually internalizes as a lot of pressure on herself. So really driven people, can have that anxiety because you don't want, you don't want it to fail. The right. fear of failure, right? Like it's, it's, so it's really deep. So that's why I like bringing in the therapy element too, because a lot of these are deep rooted in some sort of belief um, inside of us or fear of that belief. I, I like really feel like failing is the enemy. Well, where did we hear that? Where did that come into our lives? Um, or that I'm not good enough fear of not being good enough. Um, when did that come in? And so we can do deeper work in therapy to really get to the root. And that's where I think, um, you can sort of have the more long-term growth away from crippling anxiety. So if it starts showing up, you know, in the form of like, 
I am now kind of leading an unhealthy life because my appetite's totally gone. Yeah, we want to get on a regimen of eating. And then in therapy, maybe there's something to work on, not just the day to day, but like what's lying underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not pathologizing you in any way. No, I just, I think therapy can go to that. What's happening underneath all this? What got implanted into us when we were young? Um, if it did, um, that made us think that this thing is fearful for sure. Fearful yeah. to an extent that I'm going to have such a physiological response. It may not be from childhood, but I will say that oftentimes it ends up being something along the way brought in that fear. I think that's super. I mean, I don't like, I don't disagree with any of that. I think that's why like talking about this stuff and talking about like how this affects kids, I think is really important because, you know, I don't know that there's many kids listening to the episode, but there could be parents listening to the episode and thinking in terms of their kids and their kids' experiences and what they're absorbing, what they're learning. And it's, I think, helpful to start the conversations as young as possible, like like Dr. Bobby is with her athletes and mm-hmm. really trying to like say, hey, like that score is great, but like that doesn't make it like you <laughs> or that that score is low, but that doesn't make it you. It's a score in gymnastics which is one part of you. And so having these different versions of you teaches you at a young age that there you have different roles in life and it's okay to have different roles. They're not just one, it doesn't have to be this one big morph, you know, where like one thing here is affecting this thing here. It's like what you're doing in gymnastics isn't necessarily what you're doing with your friends or your family or your school or whatever else is going on. So like learning to dissociate that and separate those out um, as adults, we have, we're professionals. We might be partners. We might be parents. We might be friends. We might have, uh, outside, you know, I don't know, recreational sports that we play or groups that we're in. Uh, and so like really understanding that, uh, I think what somebody told me when I was, when I was pregnant and it it was really helpful advice is that like, you're not going to be like crushing it in every role of your life. And so like, as a parent, like, you're not going to like crush it every single day and crush it at your job and crush it as a friend and crush it as a partner and crush it somewhere else. Like there's going to be days where you're better in one role than another. And you just have more energy for that role or you just, who knows, but like each role isn't going to be able to get your same exact attention every single day. And so like, giving yourself that grace that like, it's okay. So I think that was helpful because, you know, adding a child to your life is like, oh crap, like I'm responsible <laughs> for this. Like, this is a lot, which it, it just, it was really helpful advice. I, it helped a lot. I, uh, one of my favorite books I've said it before is by Shonda Rhimes year of yes. And, um, if you don't know who Shonda Rhimes is, she is the creator of Grey's Anatomy. I think she also wrote either like how to get away with murder, like, you know, big person. And in her book, she talked exactly about that as like, um, you know, everyone asked her like, how do you do it all? How are you, you know, this and that. And she, her response is, is I don't. And she said, if I'm at work, 
um, and giving hundred percent there. She's like, I'm neglecting my kids. I'm not with them. And when I'm with my kids, I'm not working. So she's like, I'm never at a hundred percent. Like I can't be both. Um, and so I thought that was really, you know, as you were saying, just coming from someone that is so big as her to be like, just to be able to admit, like, I can't, I don't, you know, and I have people that help me, but I'm, I'm never a hundred percent. And if I'm succeeding at one point in my life, I am automatically failing at others. And they're realistic with that. And then we were talking about kids and I was kind of researching a little bit with social media and for that topic. And it was amazing. We came up with, I saw something that at the age of six, girls start to have body image issues. And the number one place it comes from is their mother and how their mother treats themselves and what they say about themselves. (laughs) And I just thought that was crazy because I think sometimes we don't think kids that young pick up on that stuff or understand that stuff. And to hear that like six years old girls can start having body image issues and it's coming from, I'll say me, you know, like the parent um, and not really other social media at that point, because a six-year-old normally doesn't have social media. Um, Just kind of open our eyes of like what we say and how we think about ourselves and like maybe starting there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, I, I've noticed that a lot with, yeah, the, the kids, they're just latching onto it and they're saying, well, you know, they're saying these adult things, um, not really knowing what they're saying, but they're, they're remembering it and internalizing it. So, um, oh, I ate so bad yesterday. Oh, that was just, I shouldn't have done that. Or, um, oh, I've just been so lazy this week. I only worked out twice. Um, and you hear these things that we say to each other mm-hmm. as adults so naturally. I mean, I work in a private practice of nine women and I try to even catch myself, um, say, you know, things that I say, because we talk about what we're eating and we're like, yeah, you know, I just, I, you know, I'm, I just really need to dial it in and like, how, you know, and it's like, we're so used to as adults, you know, I know my we were obsessed with like what we were eating and dieting and da, 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 and like, are we getting enough exercise? And then we implant that onto our children inadvertently. We don't even know we're doing it. So I have actually been trying to work with one of my sister-in-laws um, because her daughter is seven and said something to me about, um, I need to be as skinny as a pencil. I need to be as skinny as a pencil. And I was like, well, I don't know that she knows what she's saying. So there's a little bit of that. And let's make sure that we're not putting this on her. So, you know, maybe instead of junk food, it's fun food. Um, Maybe just decreasing the anxiety around food at all when they're that age. It might be an anxious experience for you because of your relationship with food, but I want my child's relationship to be curious, to be open. Like, I don't like let's, you know, just let them learn on their own, like the eating that, like, I'm really full. Okay. We stop, but it's not, you know, we're, we're questioning them or showing them like, um, I can only eat that much that may be for you, but for your children, just really getting the excitement around food. Uh, and if, you know, then you have a lot less to worry about that. They're going to be anxious around eating, mm-hmm. um, around their body image too, like noticing what you say, noticing what you're talking to your friends about. I don't fit into that dress that I fit into last week. It's terrible. Or last year, you know, it's terrible. Your kids hearing that and thinking, oh, well, I shouldn't get any bigger. Is that what that means? And, you know, and again, we're not perfect as parents. We're going to do this. 
So the other part of it is just teaching our children the tolerance of anxiety. And, you know, they come home and have an anxious day or they start, you start maybe noticing your daughter's comparing yourself to someone. And you just sort of sit in that and say, let's, let's cope with that together. Let's see how we can calm ourselves and tell it, tell our thoughts that some of these are, are just made up in our head um, and not full hiding the anxiety either. Like what's going on behind the door? Are you feeling okay? Um, anything you notice where your child may be, you know, doing the things that we know is naturally, like I'm checking myself in the mirror a lot, just, Hey, are you thinking some things in your head? Um, what's going on in your head when you look at yourself? I want to know you can share that with me. And if hopefully they'll say, I just really love this dress. Um, but if there's something else then you can explore that and say, yeah, sometimes it can feel that way in the world that, you know, that we need to be comparing ourselves and, you know, there's just no reason you're absolutely, everyone is perfect the way they are. Not even saying you, everyone is perfect the way they are. Um, and then they turn into teenagers and they're going to social media and you just keep trying to do it there too. So, you know, <laughs> a, a parenthood is a huge battle with this anxiety thing. Um, but I think awareness and then trying to be open to talking about it and bringing it in and trying to say, Hey, anxiety is a big part of life. Let's talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the more open we have the conversation, the better and saying like, you know, I need, I need a moment right now. I'll be right back. You know, I think like, that's okay. If someone's like, you know, or if someone's in front of me and they're like, I am like, I'm really sorry that I'm feeling this way in front of you. I'm like, absolutely not. Uh Uh-uh. Like, please don't be sorry about that. This is great. Like, I feel like this sometimes as well. And they're like, what you do? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Here's strategies that I try and it helps. Uh, And if that doesn't like, like, you know, we know a lot of mental health counselors in this area. Like Mm -hmm. we love mental health counseling. So like, like here's some, you know, potential resources to look into if this is really impacting, you know, you on a day-to-day basis or in some way, you know, it's getting to the point where it's really difficult to manage then yeah, absolutely. Like really taking that time and getting to the roots. And, you know, I think I can tell my, um, you know, the, the fear of failure, which is like the, probably the biggest thing that I struggle with. Definitely. I, I can see it back all the way, you know, back, you yeah. know, I was playing tennis as a kid and, you know, stuff like that. Like there was, there was, I can see that tendency all the way through. So like, well, of course, like if it was there, then like, why wouldn't it continue through? Right. So that 100% makes sense. And I think the more we take a step back and say, objectively speaking, well, yeah, I had a fear of failure back then. So of course, in new situations, there's going to be a fear of failure, unless you actually like take time to, yeah, (laughs) where did that originate? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, And so, yeah, the more you just kind of open it up and say, okay, like, let's, let's figure that out. Let's see where we go with that. I think that's how we all eventually continue to progress and get stronger and better. And, uh, and we can tackle new obstacles with not having the same exact uh, things getting in the way, you know, so there'll be different things. (laughs) Life isn't that easy where you just like, well, I did some counseling now, like everything in life is fine. (laughs) I have no worries. I don't even care about anything anymore. Yeah. It's, 
Yeah, it's, it's not, about yeah. making it go away. It's building the tolerance for it. Right. You know, how can I be more aware of what's going on? And and I keep saying inter- intervene on myself sooner, self-soothe, create a calming environment. Let's say going out socially is difficult for me. How can I build a life to honor that? So I make sure I have plenty of time to get ready. I don't overcommit. I do, you know, I have a hard, like one thing a weekend, not two. Um, if it has to be two, then it better be really important. Someone's getting married. Um, what can I do to self-soothe in those moments, honoring that this is maybe more difficult for me than, I mean, who cares about anyone else? You know, we don't need to compare. So mm-hmm. yeah, just saying, how do I, you know, and if you love someone with that kind of helping them as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, my partner can see my anxiety coming and he's learning to kind of, what, what do I need in that moment? Um, you know, to try to kind of help me there. And then also I can't be relying on that. I need to ask myself what I need in that moment and maybe make it, but for his love, you know, and I can see when he's anxious too, and I'll do the same back. Like, Hey, here's something, you know, I know here's some things that worked before, um, you know, and, and helping him with his. So I, in one of the questions it said about the loved ones, what can we do for those that we love? I think it's just honor that it's a part of them and find out what they need in those moments and how you can help. Yeah. I like how you said it's kind of, it doesn't go away. And I feel it very similar to grief or losing a loved one. Like the grief never disappears. You never get over losing someone, but you just, I feel like you become better at coping with it, better at handling it. And it's kind of the same thing through there. Um. So before we end up kind of a last final, or I don't know if Jess has any questions, but the last one question for me is, let's say, so we obviously know like anxiety, mental health counselors are probably one of the best things to do for yourself to help with that. But let's say we find ourselves in the moment, very anxious. What are two or three things we could do to kind of retrain our thoughts or bring our levels back down in that moment so we could continue on with our day and continue on with what we're doing? Yeah. You know, and I I love that you said that too, because mental health isn't always accessible. Um, It's expensive and there's a lot of barriers to entry there. So, um, you know, one of the first things I try to get people to access access is their breathing um, because it's, it's just there. And so trying to notice your breath, a lot of times when we're anxious, we're holding our breath or we're breathing really shallow. Um, And so deepening it and just And it can be a few deep breaths. It can be 10 minutes, um, depending on where you are. Um, It's there's YouTube videos of breathing exercises that range from two minutes to like 20, uh, I was going to say two hours. I'm sure. Um, In that moment, another thing is kind of like, if you cross your arms and sort of envision it as a hug, like I'm hugging myself right now and I'm just breathing because I'm noticing that I'm starting to get that tightness and the thoughts are coming in. And I really just want to calm myself. It's really about that self-soothing and calming. Um, I think the bathroom is a fantastic place. Uh, Really, no one's going to question you. um, Maybe they'll be concerned if you're in there for too long, but you can go in there and just sit and take a space and breathe. 
And that's where I was thinking of the guided meditations. If, if you need help with it, if you're at that point, or it's just hard for you to access what to do, there's these things that you can just do on your phone and bring it up and go through a couple minutes, um, 30 seconds of just slowing down your breath. Counting your breath is a good way um, because it kind of channels your mind a little bit. What's my pace right now without judgment? Um, and then trying to maybe extend it um, as comfortable as you can. Um, yeah, I'll tell my clients a lot. Um, if you notice stuff, go take your bathroom break, go run in there. Um, the other thing is to really find what positive affirmations or things out there speak to you. So what's going to speak to me is going to be different than what's going to speak to you guys. Um, that thing that resonates with you that, you know, maybe you're scrolling and you see the, you know, a positive affirmation that comes along or something that's like, wow, that really, that resonates with me. Save that so that you can look at it when you're in the bathroom or remember it so that you can tell yourself, no one is thinking about me nearly as much as I think they are. Um, or why don't I just, you know, maybe be gentle with myself right now. I know, I know events like these can kind of be hard for me. So why don't I be gentle with myself, um, and not really have much expectation. I'm here. I did it. Whatever works with you in those moments to just kind of like gather that calm, the opposite of anxiety is calm. The other part of it, um, which is a little deeper, I won't go into it, but if you notice that you're not engaging in something because of the anxiety, then um, that's also something to bring into like the counseling room so that, you know, if every time you go out, it's a terrible time, that's an, an indicator um, that, yeah, you might not want to go out and let's work on getting you out. Mm -hmm. um, but I sort of digress there, but um yeah. So just kind of that positive, calming space you can get yourself into the first most accessible thing, be breathing, breathe in the car before you go in somewhere, anticipating that anxiety, cope ahead for whatever's going to happen there. I like, yeah, the I like that proactive. Yeah. In the bathroom, like just removing yourself, just yeah. like, like, just like whether you're anxious, angry, whatever, you know, any. Yeah big yeah. emotion that's not necessarily positive <laughs> just removing yourself from the situation allows you to not react and by not reacting it gives you a chance to calm to then with intention re-enter the space at least that's what I try and do if I can tell that my reaction is going to be big and it's not really warranted right like I'm like mm -hmm that thought shouldn't come out of my mouth. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Let me come over here, breathe a little bit, calm down. Okay. Now let's try again. <laughs> That's but good like, skill. It probably took you actually not stopping yourself and saying something to realize, okay, I need to pay right. more attention to Right. You know, it doesn't mean that we naturally are going to be like, hold on, let me go regulate. Mm -hmm. We've got to, we've got to play around with it and see what happens. And it's like, oh, if I notice that I'm going to say, okay, let me come and take a step away. Yeah. Absolutely. Learning Absolutely. from those mistakes. Yep. And that's the thing is like you, that's, I don't know. It's just like any test review. Like, so you didn't crush it on the test. You learn so much more from the mistakes that you made, it shows you where your weak points are so you can fill those in. 
I, I loved test reviews when we were in grad school. It took me a little while to love them. <laughs> it took me reframing missing questions into a room for growth. And then I started realizing, oh my gosh, this is how I fill in my gaps is not by getting hundred on the test. It's by learning from my mistakes because it shows me exactly where my weaknesses are. So then I can fill those in quickly. And then it's, I'm not trying to do all of this work. I'm just filling in the weak points. And then all of a sudden, this work that you're putting on yourself is really only needs to be this much. You don't need to spend all of this time where you're crushing it. You need to spend time where you're struggling. And now your time is really effective and worthwhile. And so that was, I think, a big turning point for me when I started reframing. And so being able to kind of push that forward into my career and then parenting and, and stuff, I'm not crushing it by any means. I mess up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, okay, sorry about that one. I'm going to own it. <laughs> like, but what I'll could I have done, right? And removing myself when I feel like I can't have a calm answer is like number one helpful for me. Uh, and the breathing, I mean, that's just like, you know, but practicing guided meditation in the evening gets you better at breathing. So when you use breathing techniques in a calm manner, then when you are upset, it's easier to tap into those techniques. At least that's what I've found. Um, but guided meditations, YouTube, we'll put some links in the episode description are like, really have been so helpful for me um like we did an episode last year where's the flame because we're like i'm breathing where's the flame i'm 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 meditating i still don't see the flame uh, <laughs> so like <laughs> guided meditations help me because i'm not necessarily great at like okay um you know uh <laughs> takes me a minute to get into it um well, yeah. So I love, I love all those examples. I think it's really, really helpful. Uh, so I'm going to say our challenge this week is to choose a, um, like a, a mantra, something that you can say to yourself when you are upset using your breathing techniques, something that you will believe, uh, because it is really important to reframe that situation. So like, I am capable, I am strong, I am enough. Uh, the, you know, the other examples that Kelly gave all, uh, really, really good examples, but I think just finding what that is for you, uh, just recognize what that could be. And then, once you have it, maybe put it on a sticky note and put it up uh, in the bathroom. Uh, that's I learned that in uh, one of my birthing classes uh, to choose choose something that that really would resonate when you're struggling. Um, for me, it's I am enough. Like, and that was like big during like, and that you know, and there's times where I question it. I'm like, I breathe. I am enough. I am. I am right. I'm pretty sure. Okay, no, for real, believe it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so that's I think that's our um you know our our big takeaway is that a lot of people struggle with this the more we're open with it and talk about it and say like you're not alone uh there is help out there and there's strategies out there as well so hopefully everybody uh, has a uh, a good time listening and please share this if you think it would help somebody else uh, all right everybody Thank you for listening to the episode today. 
If you would like to learn more about how Two Gals can support you, then join our Two Gals Insiders membership, which can be found at www.2-gals.com. Also, don't forget, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook as well as Instagram. Okay, everybody. Bye. Enjoy your week.